In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Respectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Jess Seelove. Yep. Again. Again. Yes, uh, Michael is taking the week off because he is going to be off in some foreign country on a secret CIA mission to overcome a uh, overthrow a democratically elected government and install a dictator that is friendly to the U.S. interests. So uh, best of luck with that, Michael. Stop talking smack about Michael. <laughs> and uh, we are very happy to be joined with uh, my favorite firebrand feminist, uh, Jess Seelove, uh, also also my wife. So it's it's always great to have you on, darling. Thank you. All right. You know what's also great to have on the podcast, Michael? Or, wow, Michael. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Want to try that again? I'm Guess leaving it's... that in. Jess. Yeah. Do you know what else is nice to have on the pod? I don't know. Apparently, Michael. <laughs> COVID numbers. I don't know if it's that nice. It's kind of sad, but yeah. yeah, we need the information. Yeah. And I am I'm not Michael. I don't have quite as in-depth of a uh, of COVID numbers in front of me as he does. He is very good at putting a bunch of things together to give you a comprehensive look, but I will do my best. So couldn't be asked with it. No, just I'm not as good as Michael. Uh, so worldwide, there are currently 428 million cases, which is an increase of 1.81 million, I believe, from last week. Uh, in terms of deaths, there have been 5.91 million deaths, which is an increase of 14,230. And in terms of vaccination, there have been 10.6 billion doses given, which is an increase of 80.7 million. In terms of the fully vaccinated population, that makes up 4.35 billion, which is an increase of 5.52 million. And that is 55.8% of the entire population, which is an increase of 0.1%. In the United States, there's currently 78.6 million cases, which is an increase of 123,000. Um, and in terms of deaths, there have been 939,000 which is an increase of 2,726. So that is dangerously approaching the 1 million number in terms of deaths for the United States. Yikes. In terms of vaccinations, there have been, uh, there has been 5,051,000 doses given. In terms of the fully, the fully vaccinated population, that makes up uh, 214 million people which is 65% of the entire population. So we're we're approaching the 70%, which is not bad. Much too late. Too late, yeah. Better late than never, I guess. So, you know what else is better late than never, Jess? 
Tell me. The segments that we're going to talk about that I forgot to discuss right at the beginning of the podcast. Um, so today on the pod, we are going to be talking about some updates on racial justice. Uh, then we're going to have a discussion about dark money and politics, specifically as it relates to our judicial branch. And then we will end by discussing the ways in which the two-party system perpetuates corruption in the United States. So, to get started, let's talk about racial justice. So, Jess, what's in the news about racial justice? Oh, no, no, no. That would be a, an hours, hours, and hours long segment. <laughs> I specifically focused on two issues. Um, one is some, I'm not sure if you all talked about the murder of Dante Wright. I don't remember. I think we did. Okay. I feel like we did. Kim Potter, a veteran of Minneapolis Police Force, shot and killed Dante Wright at a routine traffic stop. Except it wasn't routine because she killed him. Although if you're looking at routine traffic stops of people who are black in America, it's more routine than we like for them to die because... And I'm going to make a disclaimer about my own biases here. All cops are bastards. Now, I do not agree with the sentiment that Here's all cops Nathan's are bastards. Here's Nathan's disclaimer, bootlicker. I, I, I do not agree with the sentiment that all cops are bastards. And Jess and I have had many discussions about this outside of the podcast. I, I do think that we need a massive amount of police reform. And I do think that in a lot of ways that should involve reallocating funds away from traditional law enforcement to, to other methods of law enforcement. So Jess and I do agree on that, but I do think that the sentiment that all cops are bastards kind of makes it more of an individualized problem. It's, <laughs> it's the fault of individual cops rather than a larger institution. But that aside, yes, that disclaimer aside, uh huh. let's talk about this so, specific case. So what, has happened recently is the sentencing of Kim Potter. So Kim Potter will be serving two years in prison, except that actually is 14 months because they've decided to count the 56 days that she was in jail. And then she will be under supervised release. So basically what happened during the traffic stop, if you don't know, is that Dante Wright was pulled over because he had an air freshener hanging on his rearview mirror and his tags were out of date. And when he was pulled over, he was cooperative, but the police um, ran um, his license and discovered that he did have a warrant out um, for a previous charge. From what I read, he was cooperating um, until they put his handcuffs on and then he dove into his driver's uh, seat and it is assumed he was preparing to drive off. Um, Kim Potter shouted, you know, I'm going to tase you, taser, 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 shot him in the chest, only she actually used her gun. And... um. So there are a lot of reasons why this sentence is multi-layered. One of the reasons why this two years for manslaughter is maybe not as satisfying to people who are interested in the justice of this is that the um, typical sentence 
for manslaughter is at least seven years. It's between six and eight. Seven years is my understanding is what they were asking for. Yeah. And the judge decided that because of Potter's years and years of exemplary service that she um, did not deserve that and that this was just a tragic accident. Now, one thing I want to make clear is that Kim Potter was a veteran police officer with over two decades on the force and quite rightfully someone in Wright's family said that she had been a police officer for longer than Dante Wright was alive. Yeah, his mother. I think it was his mother that said that. Ascribing this to a a mistake anyone could have made um, as opposed to criminal negligence is problematic. Um, That was the argument for having a higher sentence. This is criminal negligence. Yeah. Um, It's a big difference between shooting someone with a gun versus a taser. Yeah. I also just want to say from research I've done in the past that tasers are a less lethal lethal weapon, not a non-lethal weapon. Yeah. There is a whole lot of research you can do on tasers and the role they've played in deaths and how that's been covered up by the um, manufacturers of tasers and um, how they've tried to say that people don't die from tasers. What they die from is health conditions that they already have. But tasers are lethal to a great many folks. So even her drawing her taser to shoot him could have resulted in a fatality, but definitely shooting him in the chest with a firearm did. Now... One of the things that, based on what I've read, I don't necessarily think that it's disputed that she thought she was going for her taser. I think that even the prosecutors acknowledge that. I think most people can acknowledge that. So I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that this was wanton murder, meaning that she was like she was thinking in her head, I'm gonna go kill a black person today. And another argument to you know to their credit. Uh, another argument that they made was that the chance of recidivism is extremely low because number one, she's never going to be a police officer ever again, even when she gets out of jail. Um, and then number two, um, it was an accident. That being said, we cannot forget the fact that there is a person who is dead. There is a person whose future was taken away in this moment. And there has to be accountability for that. If somebody gets into a car drunk and kills somebody, yeah, maybe they didn't mean to, but there was such a reckless disregard for safety in that moment that there has to be accountability. I just want to read real quick something that Dante's father said in response to the light sentence. He said, quote, Kim Potter was trained to prevent this kind of thing from ever happening. Uh, She was a police officer longer than my son was alive. That's what Jess had said earlier. I ask that Kim Potter be held accountable and that the maximum sentence be applied, which is incomparable to the life sentence that we have been given because of her negligence. My son Dante's life was taken away too soon and he's never coming back. Yes, and I think that is the most powerful statement of this entire case. Um, The judge 
kept on characterizing this as a tragic mistake. But whether or not someone has made a mistake, there are certain professions we acknowledge you don't get to make a mistake in. Um, If a bus driver is driving drunk and crashes a busload of toddlers into um, a gas tank and it explodes and all the kids die, we would say uh, you had one job that you were trained for and you fucked up. Yeah. You were incompetent and your incompetence led you to decisions that caused deaths that can't be unwritten. Yeah. So I do think it's particularly despicable for anyone to say, well, whoopsies happen, but Kim Potter shouldn't have to face um, more than 14 months um, of incarceration. And honestly, even if she had gotten the sentence that the prosecutors had asked for, which was seven years, that's still not that's her whole not, life. Yeah, that's not her whole life. That's seven years. And again, it it really strips the humanity away from Dante Wright. Yeah. Um, I really appreciated what his mother said, where she said she would refuse to address Potter as anything other than the defendant because mm. Potter called him the driver in her entire um, testimony. Yeah. She didn't even use his name. Yeah. And and while Potter gave a, a beautiful apology that was like textbook, well done. Yeah. Her lawyers had were some, arguing yeah, for other reasons. Fucked up defenses. Yeah. Nathan, do you want to speak a little bit to that? Yeah. And so I will actually say I read Potter's defense at least I, I read her apology and I actually did. I will admit I did feel something when I read it and you know what? I, I think there is probably a good chance that she does have genuine remorse. I, I really do. Yeah. But so my feelings, if she had genuine remorse, then she would have accepted the sentencing. Yeah. Um, because how can you not after you've murdered someone? And also, let's look at some of the defenses that her lawyers had. Oh, yes. I have a quotation from her lawyers that I think is particularly interesting, where it says, All Mr. Wright had to do was stop, obey lawful commands, and he'd be alive. And where I find a problem in that logic is that there are many black people who stop, obey the lawful commands, and don't survive. We'll never know what Dante Wright was thinking in those moments. Was he trying to get away because he's afraid of his life? Was he just trying to get away to avoid um, being jailed? We don't know. But I do argue against the premise that if he had just followed the rules, his life wouldn't have been in danger. It was already in danger for an interaction with police officers. Well, and also... That framing makes it sound like you need to hold civilians who are not trained who to be afraid. in these situations. Who yeah. You are potentially in a stressful situation who are not trained to be in this, these situations. You need to hold them to a higher, a higher standard than the police officers who presumably are supposed to be trained deal, to deal with this type of situation. She's been, it's a complete bullshit framing. She's been serving for 20, yeah, over 20, 20 years. years. 20 years. It's, she should have, she should have been like, she should be an expert about this. It, it really, it really sticks in my craw when people say cops get scared and they make mistakes. You don't get to make a mistake 
when you're in that position of power because a civilian is going to probably be terrified and is maybe going to make decisions that don't make sense. Maybe they are going to um, do some wacky things, but, you know, the argument that Kim Potter says is that um, right, it was appearing to drive away or was going to drive away and that could have injured some officers who were near the car. Um, again, though, she she killed him. Yeah. <laughs> she panicked and in a moment of panic, she murdered him yeah. and the judge seemed to think that that is just one of the one of the things we have to accept. Yeah. It's just one of those things that happens. No one could have prevented it except and one of the other defenses and this made my blood fucking boil. One of the the other defenses that they made was they cited similar uh, similar cases in which judges have found people guilty or uh, 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 cops have been found guilty of violence against black people, but then were given lighter sentences. And one of the examples they they cited was Rodney fucking King. All right. Who was famously case closed. We can go home. beaten viciously in the 90s. And initially the on two camera. officers on camera and the two officers that did it were like initially acquitted by the state, but then they were brought up by a different jury in, um, uh, on federal civil rights ch charges. And they only got 30 months for a hate crime. They got 30 months. So these people cited one of the biggest miscarriages of racial justice in recent history as a precedent for how this case should go. What what else do they want to cite? Do they, they oh. do they want to cite fucking Plessy versus Ferguson as precedent? Do they want to cite the Dred Scott decision as precedent as there, precedent? Because that would make as much sense. There was also an argument about how if Kim Potter did receive a harsher sentence, this might actually um, contribute to the staffing issues already in place in her department, and it might be a deterrent for applicants to the department. So. On the other side of that, are they saying that applicants feel free to apply if you murder someone and we think you didn't mean to, it was just incompetence, then it's okay. Don't be afraid that this job carries a significant amount of weight, that you cannot make these kinds of mistakes with people's lives because we don't want you to feel you know, repelled from applying to this job. Yeah. Look, it's better to be understaffed. It's better for a police department to be understaffed than to be staffed with trigger happy people that are effectively thugs. So this gets to my point where I say all cops are bastards. And Nathan says very long drawn out disclaimer that he did where he's like, things need to change. My point is if there were changes that made um, all cops not be bastards, if that were a change that occurred, maybe you'd have more applicants. Maybe there are plenty of people who don't want to join the police force because they don't want to be complicit in racial injustice and yeah. systemic oppression and murdering civilians. Yeah. No, I, I one thing I will agree with, I again, I do not agree with the all cops are bastards point, but one thing I will agree with is that oftentimes the good cops are disincentivized. Like, there is there are disincentives given for good cops to turn in bad cops to um to 
to stand up against racial injustice within police departments because some of the people committing them are your colleagues or the people that you work with every day. So I, I definitely do think that that's an important point to be made. Um, there's another story that we also wanted to give an update on. And I have a transition for that. All cops are bastards and all former cops might be bastards because in the Ahmad Arbery case, the man who was killed by three men in a neighborhood who saw a black man jogging, thought he was a suspect in a slew of robberies and chased him down and murdered him um, in what his family, Ahmad Arbery's family, called a modern day lynching, understandably. Yep. Um, they were convicted for committing a hate crime, which is pretty unusual for um, that to be proven. But there was a lot of um, a lot of evidence to support that they were racially motivated. And yeah. one of the people, Travis McMichaels, was a former police officer. <laughs> That's actually something that I hadn't heard about. That's really interesting. But yeah, so I think there there are a few things that are important for us to. Uh, important facts for us to lay out. Uh, first off, they were already convicted and sentenced for murder by the state. All right. So the state went ahead and convicted them of murder and sentenced them to life without the possibility of parole. So you might be asking, all right, so what does this new thing mean? What, what does it mean for it to suddenly become a hate crime? Well, what that means is that now it's not only a state case, it's not only with the state of Georgia, it's also a federal case. So and they were convicted of a federal hate crime. It cannot be overturned by this. So they'll well, still have a life sentence if it does somehow get overturned well, by not the only, state. Not only that, but they will be serving their time in a federal prison as opposed to a state prison. Yeah. Um, there, so Travis McMichaels, his father, Gregory McMichaels, and, Mc, and it's McMichael, McMichael, sorry, I'll correct it. The racist names are McMichael. So, and a neighbor chased Ahmed down, um, and Travis, the former police officer was the one who shot him. Yeah. And I would just like to point out. Their defense was basically that it was self-defense. Like basically, they come at him with a shotgun. He tries to def he he tries to take their shotgun away. Like he grabs their shotgun, and they shoot him. And they say it was self-defense. Like, what the fuck? Well, I mean, I, th th this so 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 Ahmad Arbery was very clearly defending himself when he went for the shotgun because there were armed men that were coming after him. And so my understanding from what I read was that Brian, the neighbor kind of joined in on the chase after it was already underway. Yeah. And his attorney said that the difference between his client, Brian and the other two was that Brian wasn't, quote, wasn't trying to be Johnny law enforcement, but his instinct told him people don't get chased like that unless they've done something wrong, and in some cases, very wrong. There's a lot very wrong with yeah. that statement. 
um, the the idea that because two white men are chasing a black man down, a black man down, he must have done something really wrong. Yeah, really does reinforce that this was a modern day lynching. Yeah, yeah, and I think it absolutely makes sense for them to be charged with hate crimes. I mean, we've we've had discussion about hate crimes on the pod before. I think that they make sense because we sentence people based off of motivations all the time. Like that's, that's the difference between, um, wrongful death and, you know, and, 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 um, premeditated murder. And those carry vastly different sentences as is evident by the fact that Kim Potter, even if she had gotten the maximum sentence that they wanted her to have still would have had a significantly less, significantly less of a sentence than these people because motivations do matter. But but the reason why the hate crime makes sense is because if you are somebody who has such a high level of of racial animosity that you just wantonly murder or wantonly beat people, we need to get your ass off the street. Yeah, they you know, there was a good point made about how. They, they grabbed their guns and then they chased after him. And yeah. as much as I am not a defender of Kim Potter, she already had a gun. Yeah. Well, actually, two guns. One that was a taser and one that is a firearm. <laughs> so she, her interacting with someone and trying to detain them and even brandishing her weapon is a state-sanctioned, um, a state-sanctioned murder, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, for these three... Even if they believed that Ahmad was the person involved in all of these robberies, had no right to chase down another civilian mm. brandishing their weapons. Yeah. That is, this is not the old West. You yeah. can't do that. You're not deputized by the sheriff that you drink and go to the local madam house with. Yeah. You honestly, civilians should only exercise that right. Like the, the the right of self defense, the, the 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 right to bear arms in in, in self defense, that should only be if you are in direct danger. They were going hunting. That's what was happening. They were going hunting. They were not in direct danger. And the last the 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 last point that I want to make to sort of sum all of this up is that it is easy for us to think, great, justice was served, and yes, it was. And it's better that it was served than that it was not served. However, true justice is making sure that this shit doesn't keep happening. True justice for Dante Wright is making sure that you have comprehensive police reform, that you fundamentally reshape the way law enforcement is carried out in the United States, that you have, um, you know, that you have implicit bias training for all police officers and justice for Ahmad Arbery is also about a racial reckoning for our country, not just, not just for police officers, but for everyday citizens recognizing the role that, that bias plays in the way we judge those around you and also recognizing the ways that our own language perpetuates those, those sentiments that leads to horrific acts of murder, such as what happened to Ahmaud Arbery. 
Yeah. And I would just tack on at the end of that, that this isn't so far removed from issues with policing when you consider that the person who killed Ahmad was the person who was a former police officer <laughs> and investigator for the district attorney's office. He was a former investigator, he was an investigator for the district attorney's office. So you do need to ask questions around why he felt empowered to get in his truck with his dad with a gun and chase a man down. He actually can't claim ignorance of the law mm. since he was a former police officer. You would think he would know that you can't do that. Yeah. Why did he feel empowered to do so? So now it's time for one of our more lighthearted segments, Tips for Good. So, Jess, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, it's it's because we need good in this world because my milkshake. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. All the boys. Mm. Every week. And they're like, it's better than yours. <laughs> Damn right. Beautiful. You know, I gotta say, milkshakes, they make the world a better place. Unless you're lactose intolerant. Well, yeah. Then they make the world a fartier place. <laughs> God. Uh, so, Jess, what is our tip for good this week? Our tip for good is to be a responsible dog owner. <laughs> Last week, Michael had some good information about being a pet owner, and we talked about how you need to be able to take care of that pet. This week, we're following up with you all about how you can be a responsible pet owner, especially a dog owner. And Nathan, take it away. The main reason why we're doing this is because we're tired of seeing in our own neighborhood people just... Number one, having their dog off leash when there are other dogs around and you're in you're in a community. And number two, not cleaning up after your dog. Now, it is very possible that we have done this as a tip for good in the past. In fact, I I'm I'm thinking we might have, but it's worth mentioning again. It was true then and it's, it's true now. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, Pick up your dog's shit. Like, God uh, damn it. It's like I'm 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 the doctor. You know, if you haven't cured your disease, then keep taking your medicine, right? So so anyways, the reason why it's important to clean up after your dog, if you are living in a community, is that one instance of worms can infect an entire neighborhood. All right. Now, I'm not saying that your dog definitely has worms, but it is still a public health hazard. If every single person is cleaning up after their dog, that significantly reduces the chance of worms uh, passing to other dogs. And also making sure that if you're if, if you have a dog, they're on leash, make sure that dogs aren't jumping at each other. Yes. Um, I've heard all the excuses. My dog listens to me. They stay close by. I've heard people say my dog is very friendly. They would never hurt another dog. The point is that number one, I don't know your dog at all. Number two, my dog might be reactive. Yeah. And if you don't have your dog on a leash and I have my dog on a leash, my dog is trapped to yeah. a person and your and can't run away and your dog can invade my dog's space and it's not going to go well for any dog involved so if you're living in a space where you have to have your dog on a leash i'm sorry it sucks i know there are some good dogs who can yeah. stay with their person but you can't guarantee your dog won't get distracted and run over to another dog and um 
put it on a leash okay that's what you need to do that's part of being a responsible pet owner you don't want your dog to be savaged by a neighborhood dog who's reactive and it won't even be that dog's fault because they can't get away from your dog and they're going to react a certain way sometimes yeah or move into a house with a fenced in yard or uh that has an invisible fence but if you're gonna live in if you're gonna live in a community where where dogs are walking all over the place you gotta follow the rules Yes, uh, not to mention also there are some people who are genuinely terrified of dogs. Don't terrorize them with your dog being off a leash. So that's tips for good. So our next segment is going to focus on dark money. Specifically, in terms of the ways in which dark money has changed our judicial branch. So... This was actually brought upon by an article that my father sent me recently that was breaking down an ad that was that was put out recently by the Judicial Crisis Network. And just Ooh. thinking of that name, Judicial Crisis Network, they I probably s- sound like some reliable people, right? That sounds like a big deal. All right, judicial, so something to do with like judges and crisis. I feel like there's a lot of crises related to judges yeah yeah so i i I watched the ad and what's interesting is the first 10 seconds i was nodding my head like oh yeah yeah totally totally yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) where'd they lose you well um so they so 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 in the first 10 seconds they're talking about the ways in which dark money has destroyed our judicial system how the judicial system is supposed to be nonpartisan. it's supposed to be the least corruptible branch of government do you hear that, Mitch McConnell? Do you? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And they were like, and this has been destroyed by dark money. And I was like, yeah. And they were saying, and then they were like, by liberal groups. And I was like, e- e- what? <laughs> we missed a step on the flow chart. Ho- ho- hold on, hold on. What was that? Is this say what now? Because... Because, because again, is... Mitch McConnell, I just want to really like highlight with like neon lights blinking, Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell, turtle face <laughs> man who's worth nothing, Mitch McConnell. Yeah, well, but even beyond Mitch McConnell, like Mitch McConnell is a huge part of it. He is a, he was a huge part of blocking judicial. He's nine judicial... turtles of it. <laughs> well, he, he, he's, he's, he was a big part of blocking judicial nominations and filling... during the, uh, the, the Obama administration and then filling them in during the Trump administration. He stuffed them. But he was not alone. And what is what is something that is kind of a a well known fact in in um, in politics, and is almost an open secret, is the fact that most of the judges, if not all of the judges that are appointed by the last two Republican presidents, have been handpicked from a list created by the Federalist Society, which is which is a conservative think tank, and. That has basically been their only qualification. Their only qualification is these are right-wing activists that are approved by a right-wing activist group in order to make the courts more partisan. And what is extremely interesting about this particular ad by the Judicial Crisis Network is that the Judicial Crisis Network is actually an alias. All right. it's that one show? It's a fictitious name. Which which show are you talking about? The one that had Jennifer Garner and all those cute wigs. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, th- it's a fictitious name for a group called the Concord Fund. Now, 
the Concord Fund is a dark money group. And, and real quick, let's let's explain what we mean by a dark money group. So dark money basically means that they're a they're a political organization that makes ads, supports candidates, gives money to other organizations, and we have no idea who is donating to them. Now, we might Ooh. know how many people are donating to them, <gasps> but we don't know who they actually are. And if it's Hobby Lobby, then we know where that money comes from. <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. look into it, y'all. <laughs> so So the uh the Concord Fund has since the early 2000s been systematically trying to reshape the federal court system and most of the money that they get i mean all the money they get comes from anonymous donors and in fact between the time of july 2019 and june 2020 the organization raised 20.4 million dollars and this is according to um to their tax returns, all right, $20.4 million. Now, their tax returns don't show who those donations came so from, wait, hence the dark money. They but... showed their tax returns. The dark money folks have shown their tax <laughs> returns, but not Trump. Yeah. I'm just clarifying, just for posterity, because in 2024, I'm going to have this argument. I know it, and I want to get my facts straight. Yeah, the dark money group has has disclosed its tax returns. Okay, um, we have a new tagline for... For the podcast, the Dark Money Group has disclosed its tax returns, but not Donald Trump. Yeah, but but what's interesting is so these these tax returns showed that fourteen point three million of of that twenty point four million, which is seventy percent of the total revenue, came from one donor. Oh my gosh, it was Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> no, seriously, it was Queen Elizabeth. She's doing some shady shit. Yeah. Don't let her fool you that she's an old lady who's possibly dead or has COVID. She's doing shady shit. <laughs> no, but so the issue here is we have no idea who that donor is and we have no idea who any of the other donors are who, you know, they, 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 who gave donations of anywhere from 4 million to 1 million, which is still a significant amount of money. So this particular... This particular group, the the, the Concord Fund, um, they actually have a bunch of other groups that they so it's fairly cheap for a dark money group to create another group for the sake of just having multiple names that they can that they can attach to to, to different things like such as like ads. So we already talked about the Judicial Crisis Network as being one of the names. Um, the Judicial Education Pro project that was actually the name that they had before they changed it to the concord project and the uh the 85 fund is another one um they have also given they've th this dark money group has also given money to the republican attorneys general association which has specifically been pushing for uh restricting voting rights and they also were one of the key players in the attempts to overthrow the 2020 election now Think about that for just a second, though. Oh, All right? okay. So the attempts to overturn the 2020 election, what was the only thing that was standing in the way of them overcoming, overturning the 2020 election? Oh, 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 it was a bunch of judges that had even been appointed yeah. <laughs> technically by Trump saying, um, guy, stand down, you're stupid. Yeah, but that's an important point. Also, Rudy Giuliani's fart. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, the fart that echoed around the world. The, yeah, the fart heard around the world. But but think about that one for a second. All right. The same group that has that is directly by the way, this group is also directly associated with the um with with uh the the Federalist Society. Um the very group that is directly associated with the Federalist Society that has been pouring tens of millions of dollars over the last like two decades almost into getting judges appointed. Like, like, like basically what they do is whenever there's a vacancy, especially like, like, like for example, when there was a vacancy for, um, in, in Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat and they were trying to get Amy Coney Barrett, as soon as that happened, they poured millions and millions of dollars into ads for, uh, more moderate Republicans in the Senate to encourage them to support the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, which would then lead to Republicans in their districts calling their calling their offices, flooding their offices, and then encouraging them to support the nomination, which is probably a huge reason why fucking Susan Collins changed her vote. Yeah. Even though she said, yeah, no, this is this this is a bad this is a bad precedent. Nathan and I have lived in a red state before. What must it be like to call your representative and have them actually give a fuck about what you think? <laughs> it must be a hell of a drug, Republicans. Yeah. yeah. Because like must be. both from Republicans and Democrats, they do not care what the fuck I think. <laughs> They're like, shut up, you progressive hack. <laughs> so so the very people that are attempting to reshape the court are also the very people that are attempting to restrict voting rights and the strategy here is pretty clear you restrict voting rights and then when those inevitably get brought before a judge because they are wanton violations of of civil rights and civil liberties you're in front of a judge you're in front of a court that was that is represented by people that you helped to put there yeah you've um you've you've rigged the game which is some real technical gambling talk <laughs> Exactly. So what is absolutely hilarious about this attempt at basically rebranding the, 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 the current push to, for, for Biden to, to fill the Supreme Court by saying, oh, it's the Democrats who are now completely run by dark money <laughs> is just painfully apparent. Now, I, to I be clear, point... I am not saying that the Democrats are not run by dark money. But, you know, they're mostly run by um, washed money, like, uh, you know, from terrible people. You know, the Democrats get plenty of terrible people donating to them. They just, you know, it's it's a lot of, like, oil oil um, companies and... Jeff uh, Bezos. Yeah. Um, so a lot of this, uh, a lot of the, these facts that I've talked about are according to Open Secrets. And, and I want to talk about the impact that this has had. So by the end of Trump's term, Trump had appointed 30% of active circuit court, federal circuit court judges. 30%. All right. This was extremely effective. Now, we have talked about how Biden's nominees in his first year in terms of uh, federal appointments has also set a record. And that's, that's great. But they I'm talking learned about, their lesson. I'm talking about Trump's entire first an entire term he set the record for uh for for active circuit court justices and 
by the end of his term, 30% of people on the bench were Trump appointed. And furthermore, even with everything that Biden has been doing to, to appoint uh, justices to, to federal courts, by the end of his, by the end of his term, by the end of his first term, it is still projected that Republican appointed judges will still be in the majority in terms of all, uh, that they will still have a majority of all federal appointments. So that ad promising that judges should be nonpartisan, just to be clear, was a lie? Yeah, it was a complete lie. And it was put out by the very organization that is helping to corrupt the court and has been doing so since the early 2000s. Wow. Yeah. That's a special kind of like deviousness. Like this would, this would basically be like Mitch McConnell putting out an ad talking about how the Democrats brazenly use the filibuster to, to block important legislation. I'm sorry. Do you have a crystal ball into the future? (laughs) I mean, he, to be fair, he would fucking do that. He will fucking do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> I am Mitch McConnell, and I haven't been able to see my chest hairs through my necks before, but <laughs> I want to tell you about what the Democrats are doing. So the big thing that I think that this should bring us to, though, is where do we go from here? And honestly... This is something that I've talked about before. This needs to lead to a fundamental reorganization of the courts. Now, in an ideal world, the courts would not be partisan. All right. In an ideal world, the courts would be mainly about not not necessarily every now and then if, if, if a law seems to be broken, if the Constitution has been violated, they're the ones that say, hey, you violated the Constitution. Like, ideally, their their words should not carry the same weight as legislation. That would be the ideal world. However, that's not the world that we live in because Republicans have spent so much time filling up the courts with extremists, with Federalist Society-approved right-wing activist judges that the only way that you can possibly have courts that are even somewhat remotely balanced is by filling it with, and I'm not even necessarily saying you need to fill with extremist partisans, but you, you need to, you need to fill it with people that at least have the qualifications and a history of relatively friendly to progressive policies, uh, uh, rulings. So as opposed to it being based completely on like competence and integrity, you're more trying to like balance out the moods yeah. and personalities. Like if you're planning a dinner party, you're like, ooh, we have to have some <laughs> some different people in the mix. Otherwise, it's just going to be a shit show. Yeah. And a huge part of that, and I'm, I'm still arguing for this. I, I understand the implications of this, but I'm still arguing for this, is expanding the court. You are uh, once again just, asking them to expand the court. Yeah, specifically the Supreme Court. All right. They, two of the appointees on the Supreme Court were stolen seats, blatantly, just blatantly stolen seats. Yeah, that was a, um, that Um, was pretty bad. Yeah. They were stolen seats through inconsistently applied principles. And 
it has led to a 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court. Which is a life life term um, appointment, you yeah. know. Th- there's There are a lot of people, as we saw with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who die in that seat. Yeah, yeah. And she was planning on trying to stick it out until she, uh, you know, un, un, you know uh, until a Democrat was president. And unfortunately, she didn't. And these these people that Trump put on the Supreme Court, which, by the way, side note, uh, who lost the popular vote. These people are going to be on there for life. They're going to be impacting impacting judicial policy for the next 20 30, 40 even years. And you can't bounce back from that. So I think that because the Republicans have shown a reckless disregard for any type of principle, any type of, of precedent regarding the court with their, with their wanton use of dark money groups such as the Concord Fund, and the, the the stealing of Supreme Court seats. Democrats need to start playing dirty too. I mean, I, I think it's more not even necessarily dirty, but just that Democrats often lack the chutzpah to really um fight the good fight because they're kind of like, ooh, but uh, I don't want to. It could get very complicated. And it already is complicated. If you won't get out there and fight to um try to balance things and try to make things better then you're part of the problem too doing nothing is as bad as doing the wrong choice like having the wrong choice yeah i i I agree agree. so now it's time for our favorite segment asshat of of the the week week. nathan (laughs) who's our asshat of the week well jess our asshat this week is one of our favorite asses that keeps on hatting. Fox News host Tucker Carlson. Tucky Carr, come on down. You know, I just don't like him. I know you're You're, shocked about that. You don't like him? I just, he reminds me of like a really gross like parody of a 70s news reporter. I feel like that's where he got stuck. Like I fully (laughs) expect him to walk out with like flared pants and an ascot. Yeah, yeah. And to like, you know, just say the same racist shit he does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, Tucker Carlson, honestly, he said so much shit this week that I had to basically throw a dart. I, I had to throw <laughs> darts to figure out what we were going to what was going to land him on the list. You're just like, I don't know. You probably did something fucky. Yeah. Well, I mean, whenever we're hurting for asshats, all we need to do is like, I just need to go to YouTube and type in Tucker Carlson and he will say something worthy of ass. Wait, wait, should we call him Cucker Tarlson? Yeah. What a cucker. Cuck. <laughs> You're welcome um, for that one. So anyways, uh, Tucker Carlson had some things to say about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's identity. Yeah. Which I brought this up to you. I was a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Jess brought this up to me initially. And at first, I follow my girl. On Twitter, I seriously thought I honestly thought that when she she showed me the initial tweet from from AOC, I thought that it was a fake tweet. It was, was like, on her Insta. Well, 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 no, like I, I, but it was, it was, it was, it, you showed it to me and I thought like, is that one of those tweet machines where people type in? Like, that's what I honestly thought. And then I actually saw the clip. 
So, so Tucker Carlson went on this whole rant about how crazy it is that, that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez refers to herself as a woman of color. He said, no place in the world would Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or he, he called her Sandy Cortez, because apparently that's a name that she used a long time ago to try to fit in with, with some of her white classmates or, or some yes, shit. Yes, as the whites tend to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as the, the white people do when they change their name. Yeah. Um, so he, he, he said in no place in the world would she be considered a person of color. Um, and he referred to her as, quote, a rich, entitled white lady. She is one quarter of those things. I'm not even like bringing in the weird, like, you know, how much of this is what, like, it's just, it's a very common thing. And I know I brought this up with Nathan that in order to discredit people of color who are, um, you know, especially people who are in a position of leadership in, um, different movements, white folks will often try to minimize their um like their color in their background they'll say like oh you're only a little bit um you know black or brown or indigenous or whatever it when when it suits when it suits the white people otherwise they will very clearly um point out how othered that person is that they're a person of color it's absolute nonsense alexandria ocasio cortez is not a white woman um it's it's actually not difficult to see that in the way she's been treated by the republican party and apparently he also sees that because he kind of contradicted himself a little bit later he said quote She's the pampered, obnoxious ski bunny on the matching snowsuit who tells you to pull up your mask while you're standing on the lift line at Jackson Hole, you know, as everyday Americans do. He then said, they're all the same. Doesn't matter what shade they are. Wait, what? 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 Also, Tucker Carlson, (laughs) shut the fuck up and don't ever call anyone a ski bunny ever again. I don't care if you meet a woman whose name is Bunny and all she does is ski. And when you're trying to describe her to your friends, you're differentiating her from other bunnies, you know, and you say, no, it's ski bunny. Shut the fuck up and don't ever say that again. I I don't even know what a ski bunny is. I don't know. It sounds like some white man shit. Maybe they're talking about like the bunny slope on a ski hill. I really don't know. I, I don't know. But anyway, I've used bunny or I've heard bunny used but to what's like telling denigrate is, women. What he's basically saying is that she's white no matter what shade she is. That's that's not how it works. Well, that's he, not how it fucking works. It's really weird because he kind of went full circle and said, hey, race is bullshit. But the issue is that racism exists. So while it's true that it's weird how um, some yeah. people are considered white and some people aren't um like kim kardashian is white and alexandria ocasio-cortez is not and it's very weird how like you can look at those two women and wonder why that is the racism exists yeah there's nothing else to really um point that out more fervently than the way that fox news and conservatives treat alexandria ocasio-cortez yeah like and here's and here's the really big thing. I, I know I've said this a thousand times on the pod, but I, I cannot emphasize this enough. Tucker Carlson is not an idiot. All right. He is not. He is a extremely 
intelligent, and extremely talented propagandist. So you hear, you you see this clip, and you're probably thinking this guy is a fucking idiot. Like you're you're probably thinking, like you you have to be a special kind of stupid to believe this. He doesn't believe this, but he knows that trying to use this language for his audience, because a lot of it, keep in mind, a lot of his audience are people that don't think that they're racist. And also a lot of his audience are people that know that they're racist. Oh, they're emboldened by being racist. They're like, oh yeah, sure. I'm racist. Everyone's racist. The KKK yeah. is racist. Come on, guys. Yeah, well, but, but, so the idea here is to basically try to give people that, that don't think that they're racist, basically a free prat a free pass to be as hateful as possible to AOC because, oh no, that that's not going to be racism. And, and I just want to make a side note. And I think this is maybe the most important part of this segment. Does Tucker Carlson want to open the door on people making fun of childhood nicknames? Cause man, I bet if we looked into his past, he was <laughs> called a lot of things. First come to mind, fucker Carlson. Um, oh, that's a good one. We already made the cucker Carlson or cucker cucker Tarlson joke. Tucky Carr. Tucky Carr. Yeah, and also uh, th the last part thing that I want to bring up is um, uh, AOC's mother responded on Twitter and called him a uh, basic, basically called him a pentejo, which is Spanish for dickhead basically <laughs> i mean that's probably another nickname that he had yeah. uh, like his fun chums you know all his buddies yeah so a deep and hearty congratulations once again to tucker carlson fucker being, tarlson fuck off for being our ass, ass hat, hat of, of the, the week, week. so for our last segment tonight we're going to talk a little bit about how the two-party system perpetuates corruption in the United States. Yes. Before we talk about that, I want to note Nathan is aware of the fact that he and Michael need to do an in-depth dive into the Russia and Ukraine happenings. And yes. I use my privilege as his wife to say, I'm not talking about that because the <laughs> only things I know about Russian like history at all is that Rasputin fucked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so that that's why we're not talking about Russia, Ukraine this week. Um, I'm sure look there for will that be, next week. Yeah, look for that next week. There will be a lot to talk about. Yep. Um, but in the meantime, let's talk about the ways in which the two-party system perpetuates corruption. So, Jess, how does the two-party system perpetuate corruption? I'm so glad you asked me that, Nathan, because I experience it. I'm going to share oh, some really? very painful like backstory, which is that I am a progressive. What? I know. Gasp! I, I might be considered... Why didn't you tell me this? We've been married for three years! I might be considered one of those radical left-wing nets. What? Yeah. I love your Scooby-Doo, like, yuck in your throat. <laughs> um, and, be, and Nathan is also in the same boat as me, often in this situation, which is that... Wait, what? Why didn't you tell me? So, <laughs> when it comes to... Um, how we vote, we often, we vote Democrat pretty much always. Um, but when it comes to our issues, many of the Democratic um, candidates or politicians do not match up with where we are politically. 
And every election cycle, the same thing happens where um, we will get hopeful about a candidate who really jives with a lot of our political ideals. And we will hear from establishments, uh, Democrats, that that candidate has no chance of winning and that they are detracting from the bigger issues and that progressives are just trying to like win symbolic victories and incapable of compromise or living in the real world. And they need to shut up because if they would just vote for the establishment Democrat that triangulates that um, everything progressives want will basically get done. Almost all of it, maybe 10% less extreme than what they want. <laughs> and then we say, that's not really going to happen though. And they say, sure it will. It'll be fine. No, really. And then it doesn't fucking happen. And then we vote or then we vote for their, you know, establishment hack. And then we say, Hey, here are the things we want. And they say, why do we give a fuck what you think? You're just the progressive base. We know where our money comes from. Shut up and sit down yeah. until the next election cycle. And it happens over and over again. It's like being in a really, really bad relationship that you want to leave, but they have healthcare benefits that you're using. <laughs> that is a great analogy. Um, yeah. Except, we're not getting the health care, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I guess a bad analogy because when yeah. would establishment Democrats care about us having health care? What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they their whole thing was we can't do Medicare for all. It's too far. We'll do a public option. Don't worry. It's okay. You'll love it. You'll love the public option. And then Biden dropped that in like 28 seconds. Does it feel like they're trying to like slowly talk us into, you know, just full on Republicanism, but like well, telling us it's fine because it's not the fascism that so, the Republican Party has become? Well, yeah. So, so I would say that it's not so much about them being Republicans because... I do want to make one thing clear. Not Republicans is, in that. There is it's complicated. a extremely important difference between even the most corporate of corporate Democrats and Republicans. I will I will say I will I will say this. There is a huge difference between even Joe Manchin and Republicans. I mean, Joe Manchin probably does not support the insurrectionist from yeah. January 6th. Well, and also there have been instances in which Joe Manchin actually has been a deciding vote for the right thing. All right. He, to his credit, he did vote for the American Rescue Plan, which was extremely important. Um, to his credit, uh, he was one of the pivotal votes in preventing the repeal of the Affordable Care Act during oh, the Trump administration. Joe Manchin could never, because West Virginia has so, so many people are on Medicaid in West Virginia, y'all. It's insane how conservative they are and how doggedly yeah. Trumpist a lot of West Virginians are when they rely so heavily on social security, yeah. safety nets, or social, sorry, social safety nets because they truly vote against their self-interest all the time. And Joe Manchin has to have a balance between voting against their self-interest, but not doing it so much that they blame him because he's the Democrat liberal. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that there's a there's a difference between necessarily like being convinced to vote against your self-interest and sort of having this cultural attitude that... Because when you look at the actual policies like in build back better for example they pull extremely well in west virginia so i 
it's not, I would say that yeah. it's not that they're voting for policies or that they support policies that go against their interests. No, it's is their that, guys. It, well, it's, it's the candidates. And, and that brings us back to the main point of this yep. segment, because a lot of the policies that progressives champion are extremely popular. Many of them are even popular among Republicans. So Medicare for all has, has always enjoyed a majority support. It's a slimmer majority now, but it's still, it still is a majority free college tuition, majority support. Legalizing universal, marijuana, vastly universal pre-K, universal pre-K, like major majority support, uh, renegotiating pharmaceutical prices, majority support. Um, yeah, I, I, I could, I, I could go on all day, but, but the, the, the question then becomes isolationism, sort of not quite isolationism, well, well, but anti-war. Yes, tends that's to what be I meant. tends, yeah, an overall anti-war segment tends to get a majority support. But why are these policies never implemented? And the huge reason for that, I would argue, is the two-party system. Mm -hmm. Because we have only two choices. Yeah. Because we have only two choices, that means that the best things, when, during election day, the best things that Democrats got going for them is the fact that they're not Republicans. And the best thing that the Republicans have going for them is that they're not Democrats. I mean, the reason I voted for Joe Biden was because I acknowledged early in the primaries that a can of soup would be a better president than yeah. Donald Trump. And I do firmly believe that. But I wish that we had gone with something a little bit higher than a can of soup. Yeah. Things are significantly better under Biden than they were under Trump. But they're so far from where they need to be that Americans, even those that acknowledge, yeah, things have gotten a little bit better. Americans are still hurting the exact same way they were hurting under the Obama administration, under the Bush administration. Wages are still stagnant. We still can't, a lot of Americans still can't afford health care. They can't afford to send their children to college. They can't afford to take care of their kids. They, 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 there's, there's no universal pre-K. And so, so talking about that, how th we have this issue of, um, I, I, it's, you know, called like tribalism or you can kind of think of it the way that, um, okay, I'm going to use a sports analogy, which is wild because oh Nathan and I are not sportsers, which is, I think why we can really see this well. <laughs> um, I don't understand why people support their teams. You'll ask them and, you know, you might say, oh, is it because of all the players? And they'll say, well, no, because, you know, my favorite player got traded to this other team. And you'll say, okay, so you don't like all the players. They're not the best players in the league of your team, right? And they'll say, no, they're probably not. And then you'll say, okay, so why do you support them? They, they'll say, that's my team. Yeah. And it's not always G regional. Like sometimes it starts that way, but there are people who are like, I'm from Texas, so I support yeah. the Texas teams. I don't yeah. know any of them. Um, <laughs> and, and I think there's it, like Cowboys. I think that's a team. That sounds Texan. Yeah. yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that, that's definitely oh, a Dallas team. Cowboys. I know. Yeah, Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Um, they're the silver and blue fellas. Um I didn't know that because I'm colorblind. Yeah. But <laughs> but it's so so there's a real like need to support 
the the team and it doesn't matter if your team is wrong and it doesn't matter if your team is full of some bad players and it doesn't matter if your team doesn't win you support your team because you support your team and I feel like that's a lot of how Americans have become so dogged with their party um, which is why I don't really consider myself a Democrat I really just identify as progressive yeah because I don't, if there were another party that more closely aligned with mine that actually had any traction, I would yeah. vote them all the time. Yeah. Well, and, and, and when it comes to sports, like that type of tribalism doesn't really have a huge impact because it's, it's inherently for entertainment. All right. Well, you watch sports for entertainment. You play sports for entertainment. It's at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that much. At the end of the day, it's just some way to give some men dementia by the time they're 40. Okay. Well, that's a whole nother conversation, but, but, but when it comes to politics, Policies have real-world impacts on people's lives. And the issue is that Democrats are so afraid of Republicans and Republicans are so afraid of Democrats that they blatantly excuse not just the limitations, but also the inherent corruption in their party. So case in point, let's look at the race between uh, John Ossoff and David Perdue in Georgia. So if you'll recall, there was uh, th there were two Senate elections in Georgia during the last election cycle. Both of them were won by Democrats. Now, David Perdue was blatantly corrupt. Like there were there were there were easily verifiable instances during the pandemic of him using his insider knowledge in order to make money. Same with Kelly Loeffler in, in her race against uh, Raphael Warnock in the same, in, in, in the Georgia race as well. There were blatant violations. There were instances of blatant corruption on both of their parts. Now, what's interesting is when you poll Republicans on money and politics, when you poll Republicans even on, on preventing people on, in Congress from trading stocks, you find that they overwhelmingly support ending that corruption, that Republican voters overwhelmingly support that. However, it was still a very close race. Now, the Democrats did end up winning, and I think that the corruption had a huge part of that, but they, it was really close. And a lot of Republicans were still willing to vote for blatantly corrupt people. And I also want to point out that it's not just Republicans. It is also Democrats. So Nancy Pelosi's husband has actually, is actually, there, there's been several stories of him making millions of dollars off the stock market. Do we think that that's because he's just smart? It's a coincidence, Nathan. Yeah. Of course it is. Like... Nancy Honest Pelosi, that's what they call her. And yet, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the squad voted for Nancy Pelosi to be the Speaker of the House because if they hadn't, then it would have gone to a Republican. So, of course, yeah. and, and, and Nancy Pelosi keeps winning back her seat. Because it's a it's a very heavily Democrat district. It's a microcosm of what we experience too, where the people who elect her 
say, hey, we're part of the reason that you're able to have this position as Speaker of the House. And so you need to seriously consider our issues. And she says, no, I don't. You don't have any pull here. I know you'll still vote with me because, and I think this is something that is important to remember, it's not that, you know, all Republicans bad and all Democrats good. We could yeah. get into that for hours and it would just go nowhere. But if you think about a lot of the ideological platforms within the parties, Democrats tend to be collectivist thinkers. Yeah. Why do we want Medicare for all? Nathan and I both have excellent health care right now because he works at a job where he has excellent health care. That being said, we still pay through the nose for stuff that we shouldn't have to but we still are very fortunate yeah um we we say everyone should have access to this because we believe everyone should have access to this it's not about some of us having it and not all of us yeah and that's how we've kind of trained ourselves to think about issues so even though not all democrats like walk the walk in general their policies are at least thinking What benefits the most amount of people? What is the quote unquote like fairest policy? Yeah. And Republicans are a lot more often to be very individualistic where they're like, hey, you you live or or you die by your own merits. You should be the one who's pulling yourself forward. And if the government would get out of your way, you could succeed. So that's our job is to disrupt government as much as possible and get out of its way so that you can succeed and everything should just regulate itself. Yeah. Now, and, I obviously don't think that that approach works, but but it's a different it's a difference in perspective. And so Democrats, I think, are a lot more willing, like or even people who wouldn't say that they're Democrats who vote Democrat are a lot more willing to go along with voting for the least harmful candidate because they yeah. know it would be much worse to survive another four years under Trump yeah. than under Biden. And furthermore, I'm other more accepted forms of corruption are also just excused as business as usual. So corporate PAC donations, Michael and I have talked about this on the pod like a thousand times. Corporate PAC donations are effectively legalized bribery. Yep. And most Democrats and I believe all Republicans accept super PAC donations. And Biden had a super PAC. He had tons of donations from corporations, and yet we still voted for him. Why did we vote for him? Well, we voted for him because he was better than Trump. We excused the corruption, or maybe not excused it, but we we didn't allow that to be a deal breaker because the alternative was so much worse. And that right there is the thing that brings all of this together, because the only way— the way I see it, the only way that we can truly create a a a non-corrupt system of government, or at least a system of government that does not encourage corruption, that actually does encourage merit-based uh, merit-based candidates, is by abolishing the two-party system. Now. It is important to note there are things that have to be done in order for that to happen. Yes, I agree with you. As with sexual orientation, autism, and gender, we should not have a binary. (laughs) Yeah. Now, so there are a few things for that to happen. Because one of the things that 
needs to be a reality gut check for all leftists is that under our current system, a third party is not going to be viable. I am sorry. I'm not I'm not going to voter shame people for voting for a third for a third party on principle. I'm not going to do that. But they're not going to win. I they're mean, just not. I think we saw that even a quote unquote like mainstream um third party candidate who gained a lot of traction in the primary, Bernie Sanders in the 2020 primary, yeah. still got completely annihilated in what I think, and I don't think I sound like a total um, conspiracy nut, and what I think was a really concerted, concerted and strategic dive bombing from other establishment um, Democratic candidates. A lot of them just all at the same time saying, I'm dropping and I'm backing Biden. Yeah. But even even without that, when we're talking about general elections, it's but just... But he couldn't even come close, yeah, you know? It's just not going to happen. Well, well, he was never going to run as a third party in the general no, election. No, and he... I mean, I mean, but he what is I'm technically saying, an independent, he is but he was never going to run as a third party. He is a third party person who was yeah. running in the Democratic primary, and he's yeah. a mainstream, well-recognized po- politician who has a lot of respect. Yeah. And even he has like if bernie sanders were ever going to win it would have been in 2020 hmm. and even he couldn't overcome a lot of the issues that are in our political system that yeah. really trap us into falling along the party line yeah and especially when we're talking about general elections it's just you have the spoiler effect i mean yeah i believe that the, the 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 candidate that came the closest to ever the third party candidate that came the closest to ever winning the presidency was Teddy Roosevelt when he ran as a third party. Well, he that was, was a so recent, president. Nathan. He was a former president. That was also when every person in the United States could vote. That yeah. was so recent and every like person, every race and every gender could vote, right? Yeah, good good point. Um he also he also ran against a Republican, which he was initially a Republican. And, and then if you put just... his votes and Taft's votes together, they would have beaten Woodrow Wilson. But Woodrow Wilson ended up winning as a Democrat because, effectively, Teddy Roosevelt was a spoiler candidate. So it's important to note that practically, under our current system, it just cannot happen. However, there are ways in which it can. The first step is to abolish the Electoral College. Yes, right? I'm here for it. With, with the Electoral College, with the first-past-the-post po- pa- system, it is completely unviable for any third party to ever gain traction. You can have a third party that has like 10 million votes and no electoral votes, all right? Yes. That's, that's completely... Po- like, like, you can have one, one with 20 million votes and no electoral votes. And... For people who think that, you know, that would be unlikely to happen, that the Electoral College would vote against the popular vote, I want to point out that this super rare, almost impossible thing to happen has occurred twice in my lifetime, and I'm not even 30. Yeah. Yeah. Like, twice when I've been, like, what, twice in 15 years, right? Is that yeah. right? Yeah, true. But, but... No, but, no, no, not 15. I guess it would have been about 20, but, 2001. But here's the important thing. And this is this is this is what I think is the important point to bring up in this in this section, because a lot of Republicans do not support the abolition of the Electoral College. And for a lot of them, it's because 
the Electoral College does benefit Republicans. And that's just true. It does. Yeah. The, be- the Electoral College benefits Republicans. Therefore, benefits a lot of the Rep- red states a lot. Yeah. Uh, therefore, a lot of Republican voters are not going to want to abolish the Electoral College. But the point that I want to make is that look at polls on the two party system. Democrats and Republicans alike fucking hate it. So if you are trying to convince somebody who is a Republican voter about abolishing the Electoral College, this is the angle you should take. The only way for there to be viable third parties so that we don't have this ridiculous two-party system would be to abolish the Electoral College. But that's only step one. Because after you've abolished the Electoral College, you still have the potential to have a spoiler effect, which means you also need to implement ranked choice voting. Oh, I love it. I love ranked choice voting, Nathan. Yeah. So basically, we've done segments about ranked choice voting before, but basically how it works is that uh, you... You know, you rank the candidates based on... No vote goes to waste. Yeah, well, no vote goes to waste because you you rank the candidates based on uh, who's your first choice, second choice, third choice, so on. And then they do one round where they look at all the first choices. And if no one gets a majority, then they go to the second choices. Or that, that, then they take the top two, um, who, the top two first choices. And then they go to the second one and they add the second ones to... Uh, to that number and they keep doing that until somebody has a majority so no vote goes to waste there's no there's no possibility for the spoiler effect and that is the only way that you can have a viable third party candidate yeah so you really could be someone who you know maybe like ideologically you line up with bernie sanders much more so you might put him as your first choice but you know then you might have your second choice be like elizabeth warren and then your third choice might be biden so well, that is if they're all running, of course. Right. If yeah. they were all, I'm, I'm yeah. playing like if it were 2020. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. If, it, if it's like a primary. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then of course, once it gets to like the president, like the general or something like that, then it would work a little differently, but you could really have an opportunity to make sure that it wasn't just a binary. I'm either voting for this person and hoping that they get enough votes or as, as happens in the primary, or I'm careful not to spend my vote on someone I don't believe will win. You don't have that issue of electability that has often, I want to point out, kept women who are candidates from succeeding because how often they get called unelectable, unlikable. Yeah. It's very frustrating. It it gets used a lot against women. And so you would really remove that because you could say... Well, if you think they're so unelectable, then we'll find out. But, you know, you wouldn't have that threat of um, spoiling the election by not voting for, you know, the mainstream um, candidate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I. So the main point that I want to make is that most people agree that the two-party system is shit, but they go along with it because they're terrified of potentially a spoiler candidate. That makes them excuse the corruption that happens on both sides of the aisle. And if you really want to convince people to um, to, 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 to support the abolition of the two-party system, the focus should be on electoral college out and ranked choice voting. So if you're trying to convince somebody to agree with abolishing the electoral college or 
uh, and implementing ranked choice voting. And especially if you're talking to a Republican, that's the angle that you should take. Yeah, I mean, I think Nathan said it all, but it really can be summed up if, especially if someone's argument in favor of the Electoral College is that it gives small states more of a say, then you can really um, point to, why don't we give every individual more of a say? Why don't we make sure each person's vote actually goes somewhere? All right, and with that, we will end our podcast with our highlights. So, Jess, what is your highlight this week? You know, I never prepare for this segment. Um, my highlight is a prospective highlight, which is going to be going to bed <laughs> in a few minutes and crawling underneath my covers and curling up with Blake. So that's going to be my highlight this week is I'm very tired and I can't wait to climb in between some pretty clean sheets and go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely feel that. I definitely feel that quite a bit. Um, my highlight this week has been speeches. I it is It is narrative speech week for my students and they have been giving me some absolutely baller speeches they've been a lot of fun they've been they've been hilarious they've made me feel stuff and as always i am so proud of them hold on that's your highlight this week that is my highlight this week i will have a different highlight next week when certain information um good information becomes public oh i'm sorry this is apparently privileged (laughs) you can't make me testify against him in court And with that, really quick, uh, we want to give a huge thank you and a huge shout out to all of our patrons. Um, so a huge thank you to Gerard DeViller, Kyle Chaska, Fade Out Scoop, Taylor Bloom, and Tobias Jensen. Thanks once again. And with that, thank you so much for listening to The Respectrum, and you'll hear from us again. Yeah.